Welcome to The Table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net. out of 2 Timothy verses 14 through uh, chapter 4 through verse 5. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believe, knowing from what you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been known, known sacred writing that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that a person of God may be proficient, equipped, proficiently equipped for every good work. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead, in the view of appearing in the kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaiming the message he, persist, he persistently, whether the time is favorable or unfavorable, Convince, rebuke, encourage with the most utmost patient in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound teaching, but have their ears tickled. They will accumulate for themselves teaching to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myth. And for you, be sober in everything, endure suffering, do the work of the evangelist, carry out your mission fully. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So on this text, what we're going to be, or this week's wordle that we're doing is error. So is there error in the Bible? So, well, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> From uh, the historical Apollo 13 mission, they're heading to the moon, and they went to stir their tanks, their oxygen tanks, and there was an explosion on the, on the craft. And their mission of going to the moon was stopped. They were going to make it to the moon, but what they thought they were going to do didn't happen. They had to swing shot abound and head back to the earth. There was an error. But did that stop them from trying to get back to earth? Absolutely not. They did everything, and they had a group of people back on earth doing everything they could to get that crew back. So is it possible that the Bible has errors? Is it the possible 
And is it not possible, but the Bible, I was going to have my Bible, the Bible just didn't drop down from, from the sky and it was delivered to us by God as the Ten Commandments were to Moses. But before we jump feet first into this topic, let's go back and review what Pastor Michelle has been preaching for the last uh, five weeks on this wordle experience that we've been in. Uh, the first week, Pastor Michelle talked about the Bible and what the Bible is not. And the next week, she went on to talk about the canon, the canonization, the canonization, can't get that off, the canonization of the Bible. Why these books? Why not other books? And what were they for? Then she went with scribe or write. Who wrote these? And what, it, what was it for? Then she talked about speak. Who spoke it? And why does it matter? And last week, she talked about power and what authority does the Bible have and, and what then the Word of God and how it reflects on people. And that brings us to this week. It's the word error. How can the Bible be both divinely inspired but also full of contradictions? Okay, well, thank, thanks, Pastor Michelle, for giving me this difficult topic to pastor on. <laughs> Appreciate it. So in our reading from this morning, 2 Timothy uh, says, we hear 2 Timothy, who was written by Paul, as we uh, Pastor Michelle has talked about. And Paul writes, all scripture is inspired by God. So what does this really mean? What does it mean that the word of God is inspired? The word that Paul used, inspiration, is a difficult concept to define precisely, particularly because it's the only time we see it in the Bible. And many Christians assume that inspiration means that God composed the Bible word for word. Basically, God sat down and wrote the Bible himself. What is the word or concept of inspiration? What is it? What does this mean? Well, in the English language, it's not what we think it means. In the English language, inspiration or inspired is very different from what the English word, what we think it is, composed or dictated. That's not what inspiration means. Inspiration does not mean to compose or dictate, which, which some believe. I personally don't believe that's what it means. I don't believe that this was what Paul meant by inspiration. He was suggesting that he, he was not suggesting that God composed or dictated scripture. But I'm going to speak on that in just a few, speak on that a, a bit more in a few minutes. There are many Christians today that do believe in the concept that every word in the scripture was written by God. And you might ask, where did this concept come from? Scholars believe this was a response to the enlightenment of the 19th century. During the Enlightenment, people started to look at scripture, look at all kinds of writing, more with a critical eye. And they began critic critically studying the Bible and asking vital questions. What is in the Bible and why is, it, why is it there? Some of the Christians' response to this critically thinking of the Bible, uh, their response was to do a, an articulation of the doctrine of inspiration, which they are saying that every word was chose by God and inspired by God. Why was this important? Because inspiration, if inspiration means that God chose every word and God is all-knowing without error and totally trustworthy, this means that the Bible is above question and whatever it affirms is true, without a doubt, whether it's, it's affirming history, science, geography, or theology. I want to tell you right now, even though there's history in the Bible, the Bible was not written as a history book or a science book. It's a, it's a holy writing. 
So building on this concept, the, the Christians of those times built a fence around Scripture, saying we can't, you can't question it. It's not, you can't do that. You can't make a question. You can't question the Bible because God ordained it. God did basically drop from the sky, and that's the end of it. What's funny is that, like I said, there's people still thinking about it. It's funny, haha, not really funny. But I have a pastor friend or a chaplain friend who I talk, who I talk to quite a bit. And I, he was, I told him I was preaching this Sunday. And I, he said, so what? You're talk, speaking on inspiration. He goes, well, he, his theology is that, yes, the Bible is word by word that God wrote every single word. So we had a, a, a pretty good discussion. Not argument, but discussion about it. And in the end, we agree to disagree on, on that topic. Anyway, I'm kind of going down a rabbit hole with that. But, uh, but to be also 100% transparent with you, at one point in my walk with God, I believed in this concept. I'm not here to judge those that believe this concept, just to ask everyone to have an open mind to the possibility of different ways of thinking. You know, we can think differently and be inspired by the Word, God, by the word of God in a different sense. So the million-dollar question is, what did Paul mean by God-breathed or inspired in the passage in 2 Timothy? Unfortunately, this is a hard question to answer. If we haven't had a DeLorean like they did in Back to the Future, we could go back in time and ask Paul about this question, but we don't. It's also difficult to study the word because Paul, we, can't, we don't find this word anywhere else in Scripture. Paul kind of created this word himself. We don't see this word again until after Paul. But what appears that what Paul did, he took two words, a Greek word for God and a Greek word for breathe out or to breathe on. And the word for God is theo, and the word for breathe, I'm probably going to say it wrong, is pheno. So he put these word, two words together. He kind of created his own word, we believe, because I said we didn't see this before. So basically God is saying, or Paul is writing that God breathed upon Scripture. So what does this mean? As I was studying this, that the concept of God inspired or breathing onto, I thought about the creation story in Genesis 2. Just to refresh your memory, this is when God first created humans out of clay. He began with Adam, but Adam was not alive yet. Adam did not come to life until God breathed into him, and he came alive by the breath of God. So this begs the question, was Paul suggesting that God breathes upon the human word of scripture, therefore they become alive? Maybe. Or was God using the spirit in human and breathing upon human words to speak to us? So let's explore this, another passage that comes out of 2 Peter. And actually Peter was written by Peter. So 2 Peter uh, chapter 1 verses 20 through 21. And this is what Peter wrote. No prophecy ever comes from human will, but by men and women moved by the Holy Spirit spoken from God. So what Peter is referring to here is that, he, that we can see, like in the old, the prophecies, we can see the Messiah, the prophecy of the Messiah through the writers of like Isaiah and Jeremiah, the prophets of old. We can see that because we're inspired by the Holy Spirit. Not because we can do it, because the Spirit's working within us. Pastor Michelle also spoke a few weeks ago about prophecy in the Old Testament, which to them had a different meaning. They saw the events happen, and they fulfilled prophecy for them. But after Jesus, 
And we see it mostly in the Christmas time and during Easter. We see these prophets, what the prophets wrote, Jeremiah and Isaiah wrote. And we can put those on to what Jesus did as well. It, once again, I think this is with the Spirit moving us to see that Scripture is inspired. And we can see and opens up our eyes to, to the possibility of that. As you read, I'm going to go down another rabbit hole. It's not in my notes, but please forgive me for that. But if you look at the book of Matthew, Mark, Throughout Mark, he talks about the messianic secret. What is this messianic secret that, Jesus, uh, that uh, Mark is talking about? Our eyes hit, the eyes hadn't been opened who Jesus was, but it's the spirit that will open up our eyes to who Jesus is after Jesus has died and rose again. So we can be moved by the Holy Spirit. And I believe that's what the biblical authors were. They were moved by the Holy Spirit and, and the scripture that they wrote were breathed upon by God or by Jesus. And we, we as Christians can see these things that previous generations had not seen but were, and had not been seen. But now that we see them because of Jesus, the pathetic word of Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the other prophets have come true. So this begs the question, are we today still inspired by the Spirit and understanding the Word of God? Absolutely we are. I believe we are, and we, but you have to get into the Word to read it. So if the Word of God is inspired, or has been, or the Holy Spirit has blown upon it, how can it be infallible or have errors or inconsistency? So let's stop and look at what does infallible mean? It means incapable of wrongdoing. St. August, Augustine stated in the 5th century, I firmly believe that the authors were completely free of error. St. Augustine is one of the most famous church fathers, and he's stating that the author, he, was, that he believed that it was completely free of error. But he, but he goes on to say, I'm perplexed by everything what appears to be opposed to me. I don't hesitate to suppose that either the manuscript is faulty or the translator had not caught the message of what was being said, or myself have, have failed to understand it. Basically, Augustine is saying that he had found things in Scripture that perplexed him or appeared opposed to the truth which he believed, which means there were probably errors in what he was reading. What we can say, without a shadow of a doubt, and the more I read Scripture, the more I say this, that Scripture is complicated. It's hard to understand at times, but back to the question, is the Bible infallible? I'm going to answer this question by saying that the Bible never actually teaches this. There's no view in the Bible that ever teaches that the Bible is infallible or without errors. Those that believe that the Bible is infallible use the scriptures using their own presupposition to understand the text. In a way, we all do that. But when I read the Bible, and from my presupposition, this is not what I believe the writer of the text are saying. Paul, for example, was writing letters to the communities he had visited and evangelized to. Now, were Paul's letters inspired by God, and were they infallible? Well, from my theological understanding, yes and no. Do I believe that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write these letters? Absolutely. But I also believe that Paul's letters do have errors and are fallible. So how can we read scripture and see that they are blatantly, they're blatant errors and inconsistencies? 
As we read the scriptures and the gospels and the account of Jesus' resurrection, the four gospels all have different versions of the event. Let me give you an example. I say there's four of us. There's four of us standing here out on Telegraph and Hayfield. We see an accident. Boom, two cars hit each other. Each one of us are standing on a different corner. Are we all going to see the exact same thing? No. We're all going to witness something different. But what the thing is, we all see in an accident. You can account that the accident actually happened. But the things that we see are all going to be different because we all come from a different perspective or a viewpoint of what happened. This is how I reconcile these stories. They all agree that Jesus died and was raised. That is the most important point. The main points of the story is consistent throughout the Gospels. Now, if there are errors and consistencies, I still believe Scripture is inspired. How can it be? Here's my belief. Constantly, we witness God's scripture using broken people to make a point to get beliefs across. I'll list just a few of the names of the people that were not perfect, who had faults and errors within themselves. Start out with Abraham, wasn't perfect. Noah, Moses, David, Ruth, Naomi, Mary Magdalene, the apostles, Paul, and the list goes on and on. Now I'm going to turn this story into more of a personal story myself. I know my seminary professors are rolling their eyes because they said you never talk about yourself in scripture but, or in sermons, but I think there's a time and a place for that. So if scripture is infallible without error, as some might say, then I'm an abomination according to, Le to uh, Leviticus and Paul. As some of you may know that I am gay and I am married and my spouse is out here in the audience. So if the scripture is right, then I'm an abomination. I shouldn't be an ordained elder in the United Methodist Church. And some people might even say that I shouldn't be a Christian at all. I know without a shadow of a doubt that God has called me into the ministry. The Holy Spirit talks to me all the time and helps me to, to see that this world sometimes isn't what we need it to be. And I'm not perfect. Noah will contest. I'm far from perfect, and I ask questions all the time. I ask questions about Scripture and about God. But also, as a youth and a child, I, was, I struggled in school. I, had a, I was diagnosed early on with a learning disability. On top of that, I had a speech impediment. I couldn't say R's, R's or S's, so I couldn't even say my name. <laughs> so I struggled with this. This is not your perfect candidate for, for a pastor or 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 a candidate for a chaplain. But here I am. I'm, I'm a, a testament of what God does, and I am not an abomination. I don't think anybody is an abomination. We're all beloved children of God, and God loves each and every one of us. And I don't think, I think Scripture teaches us that as well. But the more I learn about Scripture, through, the more I learn about God through Scripture, is that God is, doesn't always use what is perfect. Why would God expect Scripture to be perfect? What I believe that, that where Scripture is perfect, because I, I believe Scripture is perfect, is the inspiration of God through the Holy Spirit. In John 14, Jesus stated, I will ask the Father, and he will, he will give you another advocate to help you, and you will be forever. The Spirit of truth. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. I believe the Holy Spirit 
Spirit does inspire us. We are inspired, and God's inspiration comes through us with the Holy Spirit living within us. It's not necessarily the words in Scripture that makes it inspired. It's inspired when the Word meets the Spirit within us. This is why I believe the divine inspiration of Spirit comes from, or Scripture comes from. It's not God dictating Scripture word for word, but God working in the hearts of the biblical authors and an extension to us. I believe that we still today can see God's inspiration in Scripture because the Spirit continues to work within each and every one of us. And as we seek to in interpret Scripture faithfully, we must not set aside what is inconvenient or challenging. And believe me, there's a lot of challenging passages that we need to tackle and try to understand. We must, however, read Scripture in the light of the life, the ministry, the teaching, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. When we find inconsistency or errors, we must legitimately ask questions. We must continue to engage the, in the study of Scripture, in individual studies, and more and more importantly, in group studies of the Bible. As we study Scriptures, we must employ the help of tradition, reason, and experience. These tools help us to know and understand God's and God's will for our life. Scripture brings... Scripture being the primary source document for understanding God's heart, character, and will. We interpret it with the help of tradition, reasoning, and experience. And in the Methodist world, we call this the Western Quadrilateral, one of those big seminary words that we had to write many papers on. So as I wrap this up, I want to make it very clear. Studying Scripture is never easy. It's hard. There's no doubt about that. What I ask is that you take the time to struggle with what the Bible has to say. Learn from the struggle. Ask questions. I believe that the Bible is a living, breathing document that can speak, that can and will speak to you, to us, if we're willing to listen and to hear what it has to say to us. But we must be willing first to knock the dust off the pages and begin the journey and start the process of learning about this amazing book. So jump in, read, ask questions about what God is saying to you through the Holy Scripture that I do believe is inspired by God through the Holy Spirit. Shalom and amen. Let's be in an attitude of prayer. Lord, how are we going to be your disciples? We are overwhelmed by the needs of the world, the cries of people who feel threatened by others, those who are in need, those who are in danger, those who are alienated, ring in our ears and in our hearts. Sometimes we just like to run and hide, hoping that all this turmoil will go away, but it doesn't. It sits outside our doors and waits for us to do something. Lord, Help that something to serve by compassion with compassion. Help us to remember how you have forgiven and blessed each and one, every one of us. How you've called us and blessed and called us blessed and beloved. Lord, we just thank you for the love that you have. And may we be reminded every single day of our life what, what Jesus taught when 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to him and asked him, Lord, what is the greatest commandment of a gall? And Jesus said, love God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And oh, by the way, I'm going to add this, my own on that is, we don't get to choose our neighbor to go out and love as you have taught us. Teach us, Lord, how to love more and to hate less. In the name of the risen Christ, we pray. Amen.